HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Fiji Water and Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of the next episode of Meet and 3, our weekly food news roundup. We're fresh off our trip to Slow Food Nations in Denver, a festival that brought together advocates to discuss the future of food. And this week, we're bringing you a special episode inspired by the new Equity, Inclusion, and Justice Manifesto released by Slow Food USA. If we're going to solve food security, we need to say these people have a right to good, healthful food. But we have to do that in a way that kind of insulates this system from the vagaries of the market. Because when you're at a table with somebody, you recognize their humanity. And when somebody cooks for you and serves you food, in a way they're saying they care about your survival. How can we put things into our own hands and have the people of Puerto Rico gain real access to healthy local foods? Listen to Meet and 3 this week for our highlights from Slow Food Nations, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum. I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today's theme is trust the algorithm. I don't have an Alexa or a Google Home. They creep me out. The idea that they're sitting there listening to you or that someone could be makes it hard for me to understand why someone would want one. But I do have a so-called smartphone. I use a Kindle. I have a laptop. Though I have the camera covered by a piece of tape. But they could still be listening in, I suppose. When we were looking for a car, my wife said, I don't want anything with GPS in it. I don't want a vehicle that can be hacked and weaponized. We've become more and more reliant on apps and computers to tell us what to do, what to buy, how to get from place to place, with the tacit belief that they're doing it for us, not to us, and that the machines we've programmed to help move humankind forward are somehow more than the sum of their parts. When the algorithm tells me to take one road instead of another to shave a few minutes off my drive, I do it. When I need a car service, I whip out my phone. Not to call and tell someone where I need to go, but to see where the closest driver is and to see if they'd like to pick me up and take me where I want to go. Sure, efficiencies can be gained through the use of technology, but I sometimes wonder if there's a price to be paid. While this kind of thinking represents a certain fear of the future of the possibilities of technology, it doesn't feel that far off, but it is dark. My guest today is Janelle Shane. She's a research scientist who works in optics and explores neural networks on the side. I first encountered her work when a friend of mine sent me her neural network-created recipes. 
I laughed so hard when I read them, I almost cried. The phrasing and instructions are so weird and feel like a fever dream. At the same time, they're accessible, like you could imagine yourself making a recipe that called for two cups chicken stock or mayonnaise, and how the results might differ if you did. She's trained a neural network to write things as varied as Dungeons & Dragons characters, sports team names, ice cream flavors, jokes, and of course, recipes. The first time I remember working on a computer was a Commodore 64 with a cassette drive. A few years later, I learned to program in BASIC on a TRS-80 with an 8-inch floppy drive. Back then, it felt very much like we were learning to use a tool, and it was teaching us as we were telling it what to do, including putting bathroom words all over the screen. Now we're in a time when we can teach them, and they're learning and moving us forward, or at least sideways. Thanks, Janelle, for taking time to uh, join me today on Feast Your Ears. Oh, thanks. It's great to be here. So um, I would love to sort of jump right into talking about neural networks. I had no idea what one was when someone first forwarded me your posting about recipes. So can you explain to uh, myself and the listeners, what is a neural network? Well, a neural network is a type of algorithm. And so it's a little different from the kinds of algorithms that are people normally use where there's a human programmer who comes up with step-by-step instructions that the computer has to follow. Uh, With uh, neural network, it's a type of machine learning algorithm, which means that the machine has to learn how to solve a problem without being given explicit instructions. Hmm. So in the case of the recipe, for example, uh, it's learning by example. I gave, give it lists of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of recipes, and uh, I ask it to try and figure out how to make uh, more recipes that look like it. Right. And I don't give it any information to start out with, and it's got to figure out all the different rules, like uh, where, you know, is there a title, is there an ingredients list, how do you construct those? completely from scratch without knowing anything about the English language. Right, and, and the idea so, of the neural network is that it is a, it is a form of, of computer learning, right? So you, it's in use in other places where it's learning shapes, it's learning faces, it's learning objects, that kind of thing? Right, so uh, neural networks, if you've been on the Internet today, you've probably interacted with a neural network in some shape or form. So they're being used to deliver ads to us or recommend books or movies. They're being used uh, for face recognition. They're being used to try and uh, moderate comments that, uh, on the Internet or moderate uh, you know, any sort of communication. They're, they're used for language translation. So mm. if you use Google Translate, for example, yeah. that's powered through uh, neural networks through machine learning. Got it. Um, yeah, I do. I, I use uh, I use Google Translate a lot. Uh, I interact with a lot of. I work some. I do some work for a Japanese knife company, so I use Google Translate all the time to translate <laughs> Japanese. And sometimes it's really like the translation is kind of weird. Um, and I don't, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know if the if in that particular case the neural network is learning anything. Um, but you know, sometimes you know, for in, as as an example um, of one that I thought was kind of funny recently, and now it makes way more sense at least because I've found a lot of the neural network stuff that you've done to be very funny. Uh, there was uh, a, in Japanese, a Western-style chef's knife is called a gyuto, and gyu okay. is the word for, for beef. And so uh, the translation on Google was that a chef's knife was called a cow sword. I because like it. it translated the gyu from beef into cow. 
and it knew mm-hmm. it was a knife. So anyway, cow sword. You can think about that next time. <laughs> Perhaps we can train your neural network for unlike knife names or something. That, well, that's one of the fun things about the neural networks is since they're not told exactly how to solve a problem, the solutions that they come up with can sometimes be surprising. Yeah. And can seem like creativity. They can make us stop and think about our world a little bit differently. Well, the thing I loved about the recipes initially, and, and I found lots of the other ones to be equally as funny. I mean, I really, I cannot. So so people can find all of this stuff at your website, which is AIWeirdness.com, right? That's, you have it all mm-hmm. archived there. Um, yeah. I, I cannot stress enough how funny it is. And I don't, I don't know if it's just because I really like the sort of like really out like Dadaist insanity of it. <laughs> but, I, you know, the recipes specifically because the neural network, you know, you know, we, we celebrate this creativity for chefs, right, who are mixing ingredients or, you know, fusing different cultural uh, techniques together. And the neural network kind of does that, but it's in a way of like putting it all into a blender, like all together. Um, so, you know, I mean, I just like, you know, the, the ingredients don't make sense, but they are ingredients we recognize They're flavor profiles that humans would never put together. I don't think, um, you in fact, <laughs> no. once made the horseradish brownies. Is that right? I, yes, I made the horseradish brownies <laughs> and, um, that did not go so well. <laughs> well, I learned some things. Um, I learned that there is a small percentage of the population that really, really likes horseradish. <laughs> and this percentage of the population loves the horseradish brownies. The, uh, I am not one of that small percentage of the population, and I was led astray. I was uh, tricked into trying this recipe by somebody who, as it turns out, just loves horseradish. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I really <laughs> like horseradish, was, but I think the recipe was, sounds gross. It's a recipe that looks at the start, like an ordinary recipe for some kind of flourless chocolate brownie or chocolate cake or something like that. And the, na- the, the uh, neural net even titled it Chocolate Bakes and Serves, yeah. which is a kind of strange name for a recipe, but it actually, you know, this was an uncharacteristic amount of coherence. It actually stuck with chocolate, that chocolate dessert idea, all the way through instead of uh, suddenly starting to make like a fish casserole or something. So do you think, I mean, do you think that that's, do you think that that is because it was learning or is that just spontaneous and and accidental in the way that like it happened to just stick through most of the ingredients making sense? I think it was pure luck that it ended up sticking to chocolate throughout most of the ingredients list. Because this, uh, this, uh, neural network. Now, I've tried. Uh, I've tried. I've finished the training and then tried to get it to generate recipes. And sometimes, it's, you know, network trained about the same amount. Sometimes it is all over the place. Sometimes it seems to hold on to coherence a little bit better. Right. So yeah, <laughs> there is no iteration really in which that I have on my computer in which this neural network has managed to make a totally coherent recipe. What led you to start this project of feeding these data sets into a neural network to see what would happen? You know, it was, I actually saw examples of uh, recipes someone else had generated uh. via neural network. A guy called uh, Tom Brew, had, who had posted, you know, a few dozen recipes along these lines. And I just remember, you know, one line sticks out in my mind, uh, the one about that called for shredded bourbon. <laughs> and, yeah. So, you know, this was my first 
clue that you could use these things to write humor like this. Right. And so that kind of launched me on, okay, you know, how did they do this? What is this thing? Can I learn to do that? And then, and then what do you, I mean, what is required if someone wanted to mess around with this? I mean, I, I imagine unlike, you know, 40 years ago when you would need a computer the size of the shipping container I'm currently sitting in to do this. I mean, is this something that like you could probably, you could do on your phone? Is there an app that you could just like feed a data set to? How does this work? Well, right now there's no phone app, although there's no reason why there couldn't be sometime in the near future. I think the technology is there. But for right now, uh, you can run this on an ordinary laptop. Hmm. Uh, you just need a little bit of knowledge about how to install stuff on the command line. Yep. And there are tutorials online for how to do that. I've got a page on my website, uh, aiweirdness.com slash FAQ, that lists, you know, has a command line tutorial and also lists some of the software that you can use for this kind of text generation. And the, the software is pretty easy to install. Like You don't have to code anything yourself. And it'll run just fine on an ordinary computer. You don't even need a fancy graphics card to, to run it. It'll just be a little bit slower if you're using a slowish computer. Right. So, the in fact, the uh, recipe experiment that you see, I did pretty much all of those using a 2010 MacBook Pro. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I mean, just about anybody at this yeah. point can probably do it. And then where yeah. do you and 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 then I mean the other piece of it aside from having the neural network and the software is you need a data set, right? That mm-hmm. has information so cuz the neural network needs to learn something. And the way that I keep thinking about this is I mean I have two children and so I think about them as like <laughs> an experiment in that, right? I mean like how and related to food, like how does a child come to know that they do like cheddar and they don't like blue cheese or that they do like oysters and they don't like shrimp or like, you know, it's all through this developing data set in their brain. Mm-hmm. So how yeah, do you... Even what is, yeah, even what is a recipe? If you ask, <laughs> sure. you know, there's been this beautiful thing on that's been going around on uh, social media where people post examples of kindergarten cookbooks. Yeah. And they ask kindergartners to write their own cookbooks and they are just as wild as these neural network right. recipes. Like, the kindergartners <laughs> have no clue really what's going on or how to do a recipe. And, yeah, this is my plug. Any Anybody who has a kindergartner, teaches a kindergartner class, do a kindergarten cookbook. Yeah. Uh, these are so wonderful. I mean, now that you mention that, I have to say some of the jokes that you recently generated with the neural network <laughs> remind me of jokes my children have told me at age, like, three, four, five. I mean, you know, like, and they just love it. I mean, you know, th- for instance, what do you call a pastor cross the road? He take the chicken. Yeah. I mean, that, like, yeah. <laughs> that is exactly the kind of thing that would come out of my four-year-old's mm-hmm. mouth. I mean, he probably uh, wouldn't what, quite have a pastor in there. But. <laughs> what do you get when you cross a pirate and a little butter? <laughs> the answer is a bathroom. Right. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, so these things are, they are so funny. Are there, are there any... Uh, are there any, like, do you have a favorite data set that you've worked with that has output your favorite, you know, your favorite things? You know, I really do love the recipe data set. That's one that I always have fun going back to. Uh, there there are others that I've really liked, uh, you know, metal bands, for yep. example, the data set that I like because it's really fun to mix with other data sets. Oh, yeah. So I, sure. you know, <laughs> mix it with... Uh, 
with the names of, uh, you know, guinea pigs, for example, and you end up with, like, death fuzz and right. dark darn. <laughs> Um, does the now is this a process with the neural network the way you're working with it that it is basically like naked and brand new every time or is is does the neural network like if you were to feed it a data set today of say restaurant names would it have all the knowledge of having written recipes and written band names and ice cream and that stuff yeah if you if you set it up that way, you can set it up where it has a memory or you can start it from scratch each time. Got it. So if you set it up where you know it has some kind of starting point from something that it's already been trained on, that's called transfer learning. And yeah, you can use that to your advantage or you can use that to your own peril. Right. Uh, for you know, for example, I had a I was doing ice cream flavors the other day. And um, I started, and I had gotten this data set, you know, just a few ice cream flavors, not that many. I was, and so I just said, oh, I'll just start up this neural network that I've already trained with some other data sets, so it already knows, you know, common sound combinations in English. It already knows about capitalization and spaces and line breaks and things like that. So at least it doesn't have to learn from scratch. But you know, in retrospect, uh, I probably could have done a better job of choosing what that previous data set was because that previous data set was metal bands. <laughs> uh, it just so happened to be. So I ended up with, uh, you know, things like strawberry cream disease <laughs> and bloody coffee, silent right. cherry. Yeah. Yeah. Which, so I that, mean... That was a problem. Well, I mean, maybe a problem, maybe. I mean, but it also yields that, you know, that exact kind of thing that I was talking about where they're just so nonsensical and funny and within the context of knowing that it was like metal band ice cream, right? Like there's something incredible there yeah. that, that has been, now that I has have, been created. I have heard that there is a uh, ice cream shop that that's aiming to start up in St. Louis and it would be a metal band themed ice cream shop. Oh, well, so there you go. listening, <laughs> yeah, give me a call. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, along those lines, I mean, do you know of, I know that a couple people uh, have made some of your recipes um, yeah. before um, and, or, or tried to make them. I mean, one of the ideas <laughs> that I, that I had, I think when I first got in touch with you was this idea that you could try to have, like you could do almost like a, a top chef or a chopped where the, the neural network was spitting out like things that you, people were supposed to make in a kitchen and they needed to try to create them, um, for mm-hmm. real. Um, have you done any, have you, have you done anything, anything like that? Well, uh, there was, no, the recipes were used in a scavenger hunt oh. uh, at one point. This was uh, Mishy's, uh, uh, this it was for a charity scavenger hunt, and Mish Wishes, something like that. Mm. And th- one of the things that you could do was to record 30 seconds of you making one of these recipes, wearing a robot costume with a robotic, you know, kind of over over voice sure. and some people did a bunch of these oh, and wow. I think my very favorite one you know it wasn't the highest production value out of all of them but it just had a little kid in the background uh, you know as his dad was going through this routine the little kid was telling daddy it's not yummy it's not <laughs> yummy daddy it's not yeah I mean I guess that you know perhaps in the future we'll be able to teach the neural network about taste yeah 
<laughs> that, you know, and people have done more sophisticated jobs with the recipes than I have. Right. I mean, their goal was to try and make a recipe that actually worked as opposed to one that failed hilariously. Yeah. So they would, uh, you know, help out the neural network as much as they can could. So uh, IBM Chef Watson is a good example of yeah. this, where they tried to restrict the kinds of ingredients that it could use and the kinds of combinations and the ranges and tried to make sure that it could, that it would actually use all the ingredients that it called for, things yeah. like that. Exactly. There's another example of a group at uh, Google that what, did a project where they're trying to generate a cookie recipe. And what they've done is they said, all right, you know, we'll feed it only cookie, chocolate chip cookie recipes. And furthermore, it's only allowed to select from this list of approved ingredients. And furthermore, each ingredient can only vary in this approved range. Mm. So they guaranteed that they would get edible chocolate chip cookies pretty right. much. Right. But, you know, where's the fun? Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, how many chocolate chip cookie recipes are there already, right? There's tons. And so do mm-hmm. we really, is that, is that really useful to us um, rather than experimenting with something like horseradish brownies? <laughs> well, gonna, I, I can tell you which I'd rather eat. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network. And when we come back, uh, I would love to uh, talk about what you see uh, sort of next uh, for your neural network. Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, and Macy's Herald Square. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium, to galas in the renovated Palm House, and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy a la carte brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lily Pool Terrace. Chef Rob Newton and Chef de Cuisine Morgan Jarrett offer warm, distinctive cuisine with a focus on local vegetables, grains, and sustainably sourced meats and fish. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and my guest today is Janelle Shane. We've been talking about her work with neural networks and training them to create uh, names for things and recipes and all sorts of stuff. So what do you see, like, what's, you know, do you have a long list of, like, future data sets you're planning to work with? I have the most enticing long list of future data sets, (laughs) and it's tough for me to not spend all hours of the day just training neural networks on things and seeing the funny things that come out. Yeah, people are sending me all sorts of interesting data sets now, and it's a struggle to try and choose which one I want to do next. And I mean, is and and this is a I mean, this is a hobby for you, right? So this is not your this is not your your normal everyday work. Right. This is. I have not yet managed to find a use for neural net generated ice creams <laughs> in my engineering job. I am looking. <laughs> um, so, so I mean, do, is this something that you do? You feed the neural network a data set. Is this something you do like once a week, once a month, like every day? So I've been uh, putting up blog posts about once a week now. And I mean, and, and it's a it's a pretty extensive archive, um, so people should definitely should definitely take a look at them. So I'm curious to know a little bit about your about your other work as an engineer. So you work in optics. Yeah, that's right. So I work for a small company that does R and D uh, research and development. So we're making these specialized object uh, specialized devices for shaping laser beams. So I've worked on projects 
ranging from, uh, you know, building a virtual reality arena for mantis shrimp to uh, working on, you know, a, designing some laser tweezers for the space station. Huh. Uh, right now, uh, uh, the kind of work that I've been working on is used to study the brain and try and uh, zap individual neurons in a mouse's brain with light and do experiments to try and figure out how the neurons are connected. Huh. That's, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing to me. I feel like when, when I was a kid, lasers, of course, you know, you saw like laser beams and things like Star Wars and they seemed sort of unreal. And then when I was in college, I took a laser class and we made holograms. <laughs> Um, and that oh, was cool. like an experience that I had with lasers. And then I didn't really think about them for a long time. And then in the past couple of weeks, I've, I've all, I've, you know, reconnected with them, um, working on a, on a project called the laser sandwich, um, which uses, uh, <sighs> uses laser, uh, you know, laser cutting technology to actually imprint bread, um, to, you know, basically cool. to, to, to carve <laughs> logos and, and words and things into, into sandwich bread. Um, and then the other night I was at an observatory and, um, you know, there were a bunch of volunteers who were all interested in astronomy and a couple of them had these very powerful laser pointers and I had never thought mm -hmm. about it, but they were able to use them to point to constellations because of the moisture in the air. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It was really neat. I just sort of like, you know, this guy said, oh, let me show it to you. And he whipped out this laser pointer and he pointed right at the sky and I could see where the laser beam was going, and I could see the star that he was talking about. It was really, you know, sort of interesting to, to see that coming into, like, consumer usability. Yeah, and and one of the big applications now, uh, I mean, there's tons, uh, but self-driving cars are now uh, using lasers for their vision. Right. So it's kind of like a little, uh, you can think of it as radar or like a bat sonar, bouncing laser beams off of distant objects try and find out exactly how distant they are yeah and i mean is there any like does, do neural networks appear uh not the stuff that you're doing to train them but like do neural do neural networks on computers appear in your engineering work um not at the moment but uh you know maybe sometime in the future yeah yeah i mean it it, it seems like there's an eventual like crossover there especially if the if the projects are you know involved in things like brain function um, you know, I, I guess as, as computers are able to, in fact, learn things rather than have us tell them things, um, perhaps there's, a, there's a, an overlap there. Mm -hmm. um, there was a post that you did about neural networks, and, uh, and I guess it, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite the same. It wasn't creating things the way you are, but in, in visual recognition where they have a hard time with things like sheep. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, and I wanted to. I mean, I you know that to me feels like it has some overlap as well with the the work that you do in in, in optics. Um, you know, mm -hmm. can you can you explain that and what that phenomena is? Sure. So this is uh, you know image recognition is a tough problem, and uh, one of the, and so these algorithms sometimes goof up or they sometimes take short make shortcuts that we don't know about. And so one of the ones that uh, you know, I was sort of looking at recently is a uh, there's out, a lot of algorithms out there. Uh, Microsoft Azure image recognition algorithm, for example, uh, tends to have a problem recognizing sheep. Hmm. So if they'll, they'll, it'll recognize sheep just fine, you know, on the green hills of Scotland, 
but if there are the green hills of Scotland and there are no sheep on there, it might still uh, claim that it sees sheep. <laughs> and so if you do the experiment, you'll find out that it has maybe not quite gotten a distinction between sheep, the animal, and a landscape that contains sheep. It may think that sheep is a way of describing this sort of treeless, green, rolling hills. Right. And so you show it, you know, and then, on, you know, on the converse, it's really used to seeing sheep in lush green fields, and if you show it pictures of sheep in places where it doesn't expect them, it tends to get them wrong. So if you put them in to cars, then it'll think they're dogs, and if right. you pick them up in your arms, they'll be dogs or cats. Bring them in the house, dogs or cats again. I mean, to me, on a leash is always uh, recognized as a dog, right? And <laughs> sheep painted orange might be recognized as flowers. Uh, has similar problems with goats. So if goats climb into trees, as they sometimes yeah, do, right, they then do they'll end up being recognized as birds or <laughs> maybe giraffes. Huh. I mean, it's so interesting to me because it, it feels like we've come to a point where that shouldn't be an issue um, because it, it feels like computers and algorithms are so smart, for lack of a better way to describe them. And it's something that, I mean, I could show my four-year-old a picture of orange sheep on a green field mm-hmm. and they would, he would know it's a sheep that it happens to yeah. be painted orange, right? That's for the, for the human brain, that's not a complicated leap. Um, of logic, mm-hmm. but but you know the fact that for computers that still is a complicated leap of lo- leap of logic, I find very interesting. Even though you know you can have on on Facebook, it'll tell you who's in your photographs if you let it. Mm-hmm. Also, relying on shortcuts and probabilities and things yeah. too. So you know it's making a guess based on what other textures around the around these sheep, uh, what is actually going on and. Yeah, they don't deal very well with surrealism. They don't deal very sure. well with non-sequiturs. Right, I bet a Rorschach yeah. test for for a, the, one of these recognition softwares is probably pretty pretty weird. Um, I, I often yeah, people have tried that. And, yeah, I'm sure and they yeah, have. it does end up. Uh, I mean, it'll see things in that pattern yeah. just like just like we do. Yeah, uh, it's kind of interesting, but it has trouble with cartoons sometimes. For example, I showed one of them a picture of Shaun the Sheep, and it mm. thought it was a glass of orange juice. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, I often wonder, you know, and, and I started thinking about this after I came across your, your work at AI Weirdness. My Facebook photo is not me. Um, years ago, I decided that I kind of had no interest in putting my own personal photo up there. So it's a photograph of a cast iron skillet. And I often <laughs> wonder if it has caused confusion in the algorithms, like if there are people who put up photographs and if they put a photo on of a skillet, if it thinks, if, you know, the, the Facebook algorithm tries to tell them it's me in the photograph. <laughs> but I'm not, not sure if that actually is happening or, you know, and maybe, you know, perhaps there's a larger social experiment to be done there, like if everybody changed, <laughs> you know. I mean, when people make their photos black or they make them, you know, uh, they, they make them rainbow, they make them white, you know, all these different political things, I wonder if there would be an experiment to be done to, like, you know, for us all to have the same face, what would happen to Facebook? Like if most of the people put someone else's face on there, I don't know. It'd be kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't deal very well with surrealism or humans doing unexpected things. You know, right. it's a, uh, I tried one of these, uh, sentiment classifiers to tell you whether a comment is toxic or not. Oh, yeah. Is, uh, Google's it's a sentiment classifier. And it had a really tough time with weird insults like, uh, you know, your father smelt of elderberries. Uh, it is not quite sure that's an insult. 
Right. And if you give it Shakespearean insults, like <laughs> I do desire that we be better strangers, it thinks that's a compliment. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of paints a picture of, you know, if you have a cyberpunk uh, surveillance dystopia, uh, you may want to start dressing in weird costumes and speaking in Shakespearean English. You want yeah, to get past right. the algorithm. Sure. Oh, I think, that, I think that's actually, I think everybody, that's a, that's a really good tip, I think, for the dystopian <laughs> potential future that we may or may not, uh, may or may not see. Um, well, be weird. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I want to, you know, I want to make sure, I want to remind everybody they should check out AIWeirdness.com uh, to read the blog post and you can subscribe. Uh, so you get an email in your inbox about once a week from Janelle um, with, you know, and, and with an additional offer for some uh, perhaps not quite as safe for work uh, answers that the neural network sometimes comes up with. So you can choose to, yep. to be on that list. You can follow Janelle on Twitter at Janelle C. Shane. Uh, and on Instagram at Janelle.Shane. Is there anything anything else you wanted to mention? Any other projects you have coming up that people should look out for? Well, I am uh, working on a book right now, and it's due to come out in fall 2019. So uh, keep an eye out for that. I'll be posting a uh, pre-order, you know, pre-order information once that's available. But for now, you know, be on the lookout. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on Feast Your Ears. All right. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. I'm going to leave everybody with a recipe that was uh, created by your neural network. It's a recipe called Smushed Eyes Bride Heritame Sprigs. It falls under the category of cakes, pies, pastries, and extract. It contains two eggs, four tablespoon water, one cup dried butters and firmly beaten, 20 eggs, that's in addition to the first two eggs. Four ounces fresh chopped nuts, approximately 10 minutes. Two tablespoon grated zucchini, 20 ounce almonds rough, and one cup of seasoned baking powder. Sift milk in crock pot, turn dough. Add egg, powdered sugar, and whipped toppings. Note that there was no powdered sugar in the original recipe, in the yeah. ingredient list, and serve immediately. So everybody can go home and give give that one a try uh, if they would like. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears today. Big thank you to Vitor Hirsch for engineering the show today. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to like the show on any of those uh, venues. And if you have any questions, you can reach out to me, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. And you can follow me on social media at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.